Hello and welcome to the Just Hands Poker Podcast. This week we have a rather short episode for you where we look at a hand that I played at the Horseshoe Casino in Cleveland that break down all the reasons why in retrospect it was a pretty standard spot to slow play a nutted hand. Without further ado, here's the hand. So I got a hand for you, Jack. Uh, this was a hand that really deals with whether or not to slow play. I find just generally... Uh, because of the very aggressive image that I give off and the loose passive players that I play with often, it rarely makes sense to slow play. But sometimes when you have a board so locked up, it really does, even if you know it will be difficult to get max value on a later street. Uh, so this is uh, an example of that. So this hand, we had seats uh, 8 and 9 open, and then right for this hand we have two guys who come, they both reek of marijuana and look really high. Luckily, I'm in seat one. They're both in early position for this hand and they both limp. I get ace-jack of diamonds and I'm making it 20 here. So my standard raise at this table of 1-3 has been generally to 12 without limpers. So there's two limpers there based on the physical descriptions. The fact that they look intoxicated, I'm going to size slightly bigger because I think they're going to probably call uh, and not have a difference between calling 18 or 20. Mm-hmm. I think this is even a spot where I can lightly raise a little bit bigger, but I don't want to misvalue from the other players at the table who have kind of observed me betting and raising pre-flop and want to stay relatively within my standard opening raise sizes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with all that logic. So, uh, I make a 20. The player right to my left, who is very loose, very passive pre-flop, but definitely will semi-bluff draws post-flop. And he kind of got a really bad run of cards and had a lot of second-best value hands where it was very difficult to get away from, even if I was in his shoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of really, really bad luck. And then directly after, very good luck. And uh, now he's sitting ran up his $100 last buy-in, <laughs> as he announced to the table, to 300 mm-hmm. uh, And has maybe a little over 300 but let's just call it 300 And he quickly calls. Then we have uh, a player in the small blind, like an older guy who plays very loose passive post-flop and has pretty much checked, folded almost every flop I've seen him in, and the one exception, he slow-played pocket aces and flop to set. So pretty straightforward player there. Uh, and then the two new players in seats eight and nine call. Okay. So we're seeing the flop with five people and about $100 in the pot. And the flop is ace, ace, jack. Mm-hmm. And it's checked to me. So I think this is actually a really interesting spot. Let me give you a little more background on how I'm coming off to the table, which will only be relevant for the small blind and for the player next to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I've been playing very aggressive, and just 20 minutes ago, uh, it was limped to me on the button, and I had queen-ten suited, and I made it... There was about six limps to me on the button, and I made it 30. And then a short stack who had 50 went all in. And, you know, I obviously called, and... He had pocket queens, and I won and had to show my hand. So, you know, even though it's a really standard call 
that I should be calling with pretty much my entire range there uh, looked very spewy in their, their eyes. Mm-hmm. And since then, I've noticed people kind of eyeing me down more seriously. And I think I've only made maybe only one or two opens since then, not including this hand. And people have definitely called a lot faster and potentially called with a wider range of hands than they otherwise would have since that hand. And then before that hand, I was kind of playing relatively tight, aggressive poker. Okay. Nothing out of line. So I'm thinking here on the flop, okay, what, what is everyone's ranges? I think, you know, people could have random suited aces, suited kings, suited connectors, suited one-gappers, pocket pairs. You know, pretty wide range, and most of them very unlikely to hit anything. Mm-hmm. I obviously don't have to protect my hand. Um, but I do think a small bet will be called by a, any jack pretty much near 100% of the time. Yeah. And then, obviously, if someone has the case ace, I think it doesn't matter my sizing, I'm going to get a call. But obviously, that combinatorically, that's pretty unlikely. Yeah, I agree. So, can we reiterate uh, everyone's stack sizes? I know the two limpers came mm-hmm. in with 200 and 300, right? Yeah, so the, the small blind, the small blind has about 200 to start the hand, the first limper has 300, the second limper has 200, and the guy right to my left has That's 300, 300 right. and I have them covered. So, not to say that you should check here yet, but based on everyone's stack sizes, with with two pot size bets, you can get everyone's stack in. Of course. Uh, so, in terms of getting, you know, max value from an ace, with with your image, you might some of these players might just call you with any ace of the mm-hmm. whole stack and not think about it. I think that's pretty likely. So if you do think that's pretty likely, then we're not worried about missing value from an ace by checking the flop. Definitely not. Are we worried about missing value from a jack by checking the flop? I think I'm worried about missing value from jacks and then worse pairs. So I think if I'm not... Like, let's let's say someone has a pair between, like, you know, fives and tens here, which is in all of their ranges, and mm-hmm. none of them would really three-bet. I mean, maybe the two new players that came in could, but, I, you know, my default assumption yeah. Uh, yeah, is that no one's three-betting tens on the first hand at a 1-3 game. I think that a small bet, like, between 20 and 45 or 50, is likely to get called pretty much near 100% of the time by... Eights, nines, and tens, and maybe, you know, 50, 60% of the time by fives through sevens, fives through eights. Uh, and then I think, you know, definitely 100% of the time by a jack mm-hmm. and an ace. So what I'm worried about is if I check the flop, then on the turn, a lot of turn cards could make these hands that were happy to bluff catch me for one street uh, no longer happy to bluff catch me. Um, so I'm kind of weighing that versus the likelihood that someone will catch up to, you know, a pair that they can call with. But then I'm really just kind of waiting for a king or a queen and then for them to have a king or a queen. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, a Broadway's gut shot type thing. Yeah. You know, the thing is, I'm probably leading, leaning towards a check here. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why. So I think if this were, if there were fewer people involved in the pot... Mm-hmm. I'd be more likely to bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do want to get our value from these types of hands you're talking about while we can. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to get that much value out of those hands 
I'm not convinced the people who just sat up that down at the table are going to call you very often with their fives and sixes here. Yeah. So, you know, here are the things that could happen if we check. One, the player to your, to your left bets, which is a, a good out, a very good outcome. Yeah, I don't think he's likely to ever really bluff there. Mm. Uh, sorry, I don't think he's likely to bluff with anything but like a, you know, Broadway gush. I don't think he's just going to randomly bet there into four other people. Okay, I, I, I agree with that. But he'll still, he has a bluffing frequency, so that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, I guess what we have to weigh is, you know, so we've already determined that an ace, you're going to get your money. Yeah. Uh, so what is the relative value of one trying to squeeze some value, 25 or 40 bucks or whatever you said, mm-hmm. out of, you know, one of those pocket pairs or giving four hands a chance to catch up? Yeah. I mean, without doing the math on it, I think in retrospect, I mean, and you could tell by the way I'm talking about the hand, I made a small bet, I bet 25 there. But I think, uh, yeah, I think letting those hands catch up, whether it's, you know, the small percentage that a low pocket pair would hit a full house, whether it's, you know, hitting a pair of kings or queens or hitting some type of straight, or even like a, you know, pairing the 9 or 10 and getting $40 of value for sure on the turn, if I check it again, mm-hmm. or if they lead out in, into me. Yeah. So I think this is, this is a pretty... Pretty clear, clear check in retrospect. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think just because of you know you have all the hands in their range can improve on the turn card pretty significantly, mm-hmm. and you you have four hands that could improve from that one turn card. Mm-hmm. It's a check. Yeah, and the other thing about my twenty five dollar bet, it's you know some people that screams weakness and will induce this bluff catching. But given that I've been betting a lot so far, uh, just generally larger bet sizings with value hands and bluffs, I think even you know relatively bad players might read that correctly as yeah. a very strong hand, which you know leans me even not that I think that they would call more often with a greater bet sizing, but it just another thing that leans it towards a check because their calling frequencies will be smaller than what is needed to make that bet profitable. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone at the table is... You know, of course, everyone is including aces and ace in your range. Of course. So anything you do to make that ace seem more likely is going to hurt you. Yeah. I think this is just indicative of the fact that, as a general rule, slow playing does really make sense. Because I think when an aggressive player like me checks the flop and then makes any sort of large bet or big raise on a later street, while there's a small percentage of people that will say that looks bluffier... I think more people will correctly read that as strength than a bet on the flop. But the thing is, a bet on the flop is also so strong, you know? Yeah, and the other thing is that you just, you have this sort of in, invincible hand that yeah. also controls so much of what other people would call with. That, yeah, there's only two jacks and one ace left for them to call with, so mm-hmm. that's not very many hands given how wide all their ranges is. Yeah, and the fact that we've said we, we can probably only get about 25 to $40 of value from the hands we're targeting that are not an ace or jack anyways. It just, yeah, it doesn't make sense. So, all right. It's a check. How did it play out? I bet 25 and everyone folded. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought you'd say. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then they told me the high hand was aces full of jack, so I showed my hand. And they're like, oh, ties don't count. So then I showed my hand unnecessarily. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, didn't, that didn't play out well. Nope. <laughs> oh well. On to the next hand. 
Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please subscribe to us on iTunes. Check out our website, Facebook, and Twitter page, JustHandsPoker.com, Facebook.com slash JustHandsPoker, and Twitter slash JustHandsPoker. And for those of you celebrating, have a Merry Christmas.